if you take a snapshot of the picture of Christmas, the picture of the birth of Jesus, that there are different focal points or different angles from which we can look at this particular picture. And we talked last week about images, and maybe we don't exactly have the perfect image of Christmas. And this week, we're going to look at this birth story again. And we're just going to look really quick at at the idea that some of us come at it from unique perspectives, and that there are biblical characters that perhaps can teach us a little bit about the story of Christmas. Now, one of the things that uh, often, when you think of Christmas, if you have the bulletin, some of you got it on the way in, this is generally, again, what you think of when you think of the story. These are the main characters. You have Mary, a fairly key role in the whole thing, right? You have Jesus, the center of everything, the center of this narrative. You have Joseph, the steady presence. We often include other well-known characters like the Magi, these royalty coming from afar to declare there is new royalty in town. And so you see some of the main characters, but often we overlook the more marginal or characters that are off to the side. All right? So... Let me hear from you. Who are some of the people that are a part of the Christmas story that somehow don't get a lot of publicity, that might get overlooked or ignored? Who are the other characters in the narrative? You tell me. Okay, the innkeeper. Yeah, the innkeeper often gets overlooked. Who else? Herod. Okay, Herod often gets overlooked. The shepherds. Good. So we got Herod, we got shepherds, we got the innkeeper. Any others? Joseph gets overlooked. Who else? Okay, someone that probably assisted Mary with the birth. Probably wasn't all Joseph. He's probably freaking out at that moment. You know, he probably took class, I'm sure. Breathe, breathe, honey. This will be good. Who else was a part of the the scenario? Angels. We often overlook the angels. They played a key part. Okay, the animals get overlooked. They're a part of the story. Someone earlier in the first service said, yeah, the donkey that Mary rode. And then what about the little drummer boy that's in, you know? These, all these people get overlooked. I mean, we could, we could probably keep going. We could list people like Annie, Anna and Simeon, the ones that were read about a little bit earlier, that on the eighth day got to interact with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. The list can go on. The family, the townspeople... I often try to kind of picture myself in the scenario of people or characters in the story. What is it that they were experiencing? How did they see it? How did it affect them in their life? For example, the shepherds come to mind often. Do you think God sent the angels to the shepherds for the sake of the shepherds or for the sake of Mary and Joseph. I mean, it could be for both, but I often think it was for the sake of Mary and Joseph. If you think about, just put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a moment. They just get done seeing this little boy come into the world. And if I'm Joseph, I'm I'm looking at him and I'm going, okay, like, is this it? I mean, I thought this guy was like the king of the world. Is he supposed to look different? I mean, is it, I mean what, do we, what do we do now? Who else knows about this? I mean, there's got to be this sense that 
There was no grand entrance. There was nothing happening around. They deliver in this room off to the side of a house, and then they go, like, oh, are you sure we didn't make this thing up? Like, this, this, there's got to be more to it. And then you imagine, come running around the corner of this shepherds, and they show up on the scene, and they're like, hey, Joseph, Mary, let me tell you about this. We were in the field. It was us, sheep. All of a sudden, angels changed our pants. Then we, we went, they told us about this story, right? And then they told, they, like, they told us all these things, and they sang these songs, and then they said, go find the star. And then we take off, and we go see the star, and we come to you, and now we're supposed to tell you, this is the king. This is the one that we're expecting. This is the one that everyone's been waiting for. He's here. Man, if I was Joseph and Mary, I'd be going, wow, thank you. Thank you that you confirmed it again. But maybe it was for the shepherds. Maybe they get this grand starry host telling them, listen, you need to go to this place and they'll explain it. And then they get there and they're like, "Uh, all we know is we're supposed to show up here and meet you. What is this about? And maybe... It was a chance for Joseph and Mary to just sit down for a while and say, let me tell you about the story of the people of Israel. Let me tell you how they've been longing for redemption. They haven't been free, and there's someone that's supposed to come and free them. There's a new exodus that's going to happen, and it's going to be because of this one, Jesus. And so it changes their perspective, and then they leave and they go through fields and towns and the countryside and they tell everyone they know about this story. I mean, every single character, every single person in this narrative probably responded differently to the story. We could describe how maybe the angels felt like it wasn't quite going to roll out the way they anticipated I mean, could you imagine getting word like, hey, it's time to go down and declare that the king is here. And they're talking to each other like, man, are we, we going to show up in front of Caesar? Are we going to the palace? Are we, where are we going? Are we going to shout it from the mountainside? What's going to happen? And then they're like, right down there, those little shepherds. Go tell them. What? I thought it was going to be different. I thought like we were all going to come It was going to be this glorious entrance and everyone would fall down and everyone would be on their knees and it's going to be this? You start thinking about other people like Herod. Herod comes to mind a lot as I think about the Christmas story because this is a guy who he's on the scene and all of a sudden royalty from another land walk into his palace or his quarters or into his place of authority and they walk up to him and they say hey can you point us to where the king is we're looking for the king we've come here and we want to worship him and Herod's got to be going what no 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 that's not how it works you got to be here for me I mean if we put it in today's context just imagine for a moment that All these dignitaries and royal people fly in from another country, land in the United States. They get into Escalades and limousines. They have this whole caravan with security. They drive up 
to Washington, D.C., tap on the White House, walk in. They get a sitting with all of the world powers that are around and then with the president, and they just go, hey, we're here to find the most powerful man in D.C., and we heard he's around here somewhere. Can you point us to him? We've seen his star, and we've come to worship him. I mean, there'd be some confusion. There'd be some what? And then all of a sudden, the caravan pulls out, and they drive down to this little government-subsidized housing complex. And they pull up to the neighborhood, and everyone comes out of everywhere looking like, who are these people? And they have gifts, and they come, and they tap on this window, and they look in, and there's Mary and Joseph, and they go, we're here to worship. I mean, that just blows your mind. And I think for Herod, he wasn't angry because there was this great fear that he would lose the throne. I don't think he was angry because it's just like, oh man, something's going to happen and I'm going to lose power. No, I think he was angry because at that moment, Herod had thought the spotlight was on him all the time. I'm the one in authority. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one with power and significance. I'm the one that people recognize. When I walk down the street, it's all about me. And the focus, the spotlight, so to speak, was on Herod. And all of a sudden, all of the spotlight went to Jesus. And Herod's going, no, 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 you need to keep that right over here on me. And when Jesus is Lord, the spotlight shifts and everything changes. Not just the Christmas season, your whole life, my whole life. When we declare Jesus is Lord, it no longer is about us. It's about Him. When we declare Jesus is Lord, it shifts all the focus, all the attention, all the power, that everything is suddenly about Him and not about me. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I kind of thought that I was the center of the universe. You're little enough, you kind of think that, oh yeah, I'm the center of attention. It's like little kids when they're in a room and they start like doing something funny and they dance and then all of a sudden like, a couple adults look at them, and then they dance some more, and then they're like the whole room, and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting in. Everybody's loving on them, and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then something turns like the people's attention away. And do you see what kids normally do when that happens? Like if someone starts looking this way, the kids start dancing, being louder. Being, why? Because they want the attention back. Right? They want it re-centered on them. That's cool when you're like two or three. Not cool when you're 40. You know? <laughs> But, that, but that's what we want to do sometimes. We want to make not just the Christmas season, but we want to make everything like Herod about us. And what Christmas and Advent reminds us of is that the focus shifts and the focus is no longer about us. It never really was, even though we thought it was. It's really about him. And then you have another person or group of people that I think are pretty significant, and that's Simeon and Anna. These are people that, when it's described in Luke, you can find it there. We won't turn just for the sake of time. Simeon and Anna are at the temple, and Mary and Joseph come with Jesus on the eighth day to present him. Circumcision is going to take place. All this, like, formalized understanding that we, we have this child, and he's a son, and he's going to be the Messiah. And this is, I mean, this is amazing. And all of a sudden... Simeon comes up, and this is a man older in age, and he walks up, 
And he sees the Christ child. He talks to the parents, and it's like, he says this, literally. My life is complete now. Now that this is here, Jesus, now that I am in his presence, my life is complete. I'm fulfilled. All the things I was longing for, everything I had hoped for, has finally found its meaning in him. Then you have Anna. It says of her that she had been in the temple worshiping for like 84 years. I mean, she is the first person you see when you come into the temple, probably. She's declaring praises. She's probably in the temple welcome committee. She, I mean, there's this whole thing. She's, she's there worshiping, praising, declaring scripture, telling everybody, prophesying. And then in comes Jesus, and she goes up, and she says, Listen, this is the one we've all been waiting for. Because of his arrival, everything changes for us. In fact, she says that freedom is now here. That all the things that keep us bound to them no longer have power because of his presence. That there's freedom in him. And so you have these two people that I think represent this character, this idea of anticipation, of longing, of desire, of of, of just eagerly expecting and waiting. They had this posture that it was like, at, at some moment, maybe in our lifetime, Jesus will be here. And it's the same posture I think we're called to have at Advent as well, that he came, but he is coming, that there's this anticipation that something's going to happen. And we don't know when, but it's what we wait for. It's what we long for. Henry Nouwen described it this way. He said, To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude toward life. So is to trust that something will happen to us that is far beyond our own imaginings. So too is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life. Trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, trusting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. That indeed is a very radical stance toward life in a world preoccupied with control. Some people, like Herod, want the spotlight, want control, don't want surrender. Then you have Simeon and Anna who reflect this posture of eagerly waiting, an active waiting, an anticipation, leaning into the space that's empty, waiting to be filled. My question to you is this. I think that when we read the scriptures, just like anyone reading a story, you put yourself into the story. You begin to read, how would I respond in this situation? If I was in this moment at this time, how would I reacted to the birth of Jesus? And as you ask yourself that question, consider, does my understanding of Christmas lead me to wanting to continue to control or hold on to me? Or do I have this anticipation? Or do I kind of look like some other character? in the scriptures. 
do I represent some other way of looking at the Advent? Because we all have unique perspectives. And when we reconsider those perspectives, I think it gives us a new outlook on how it is we are living out and recognizing the story of the birth of Jesus. Let's pray.